with the recent reignition of tensions between Israeli and Palestinian citizens and their own respective bodies of organizations, there's been a lot of misinformation floating around social media and also a lot of, um, how, how does one put this, opinions that are not constructed properly or with the right information. These opinions are dangerous as they don't properly portray the plight of the Palestinians the way they should be done. They are reactionary, built on emotion and have no actual substance to them beyond just the very superficial ideas of ideology. Ideology is very dangerous and this entire podcast is going to talk about why that is. We're going to begin with the creation of Palestine, all right? And there are some ideologies we need to get through first before we get to that, right? We have, first of all, Zionism, which is the idea of a Jewish homeland. And this really became a much bigger deal towards the end of the 19th century because over the past few decades, or the latter half of that century, there were many, many um, happenstances where Jewish minorities in Europe were oppressed heavily. These were called pogroms in Russia, for example, and the imperial government would go out and massacre entire villages that belonged to Jews and they would be displaced and pushed further and further and more western into Europe. And this is honestly where we started seeing things like ghettos. It wasn't with the Nazis, like many would like to believe, but in countries that were, for some reason, hailed as the not anti-Semitic ones, I guess. You know, they, these countries were rotten to the core. They oppressed minorities in the name of imperial gain because throughout history we have seen that by labelling a group as evil or dangerous, you can distract a lot of people from much larger, much more real issues. And that's what many did. The Jewish people in those countries became scapegoats and they were moved out of their countries. And this is how Zionism was born. The idea for a Jewish homeland, an ethnostate, where they can basically live without being hunted down. Then we have the ideology of Arab nationalism. And this comes from the Turkish Ottoman Empire's intervention in the Middle East. You see, the Ottoman Empire was a very long-lived empire, and they had taken over a significant portion of the Middle East and much of the Levant. And this didn't go down well with the native people, and one of the largest groups of those native peoples were the Arabs. And as we know today, Arabs dominate the Middle East, but they're not, they're not the only group, you see. There's a lot more. There are the Aramaics. There are many, many more that I can't even name, right? And the Arab nationalist ideology essentially believes that there should be states for the Arab people in this area. And it was born from the idea that they were repressed by the Ottoman Empire, which they were to many extents. Imperialism is a dreadful thing, as you can see. This will be a trend throughout this entire thing. Next, we have Palestinian nationalism, which was nationalism specifically of the Palestinian region and does not involve... Um, Arab interventionism or Zionist interventionism or any other interventionism. It is just a national state, not an ethno-state, I'd like to point out, of the Palestinian people, the people who lived there before this entire thing went down. And that was a lot of groups, you know, because it is one of the oldest inhabited, continuously inhabited regions of the world. You have Jerusalem, which is a holy city for three Abrahamic religions. Very, very important to them. The Christian Jews... Muslims have lived there for a long time. There have been wars fought over this territory for a very, very long time, much longer than whatever's going on right now. The last ideology we have is Islamism. Islamism is the Islamic belief that there is a rightful Muslim claim to much of um, Jerusalem or Palestine as a whole, 
with Jerusalem being the center point of that. And that is because to many of the Abrahamic faiths, including Islam, uh, the region of Jerusalem is a holy city. And you may have heard about the Crusades, which is a series of wars fought primarily over this city and many other cities as well. But Jerusalem was really the jewel in the Abrahamic faith. And in Islam, the most significant monument here is Al-Aqsa, which is, I believe, the third holiest mosque in Islam. I should know this because I'm a Muslim myself, so it's bad that I'm not sure. However, this is a relatively new ideology. It's been revived in the modern day following post-colonial revival of Islam in the uh, sense of conquering and the belief that things should return to as they were for hundreds of years. It's a very complex ideology with many, many sects between it. You know, it's not it's not a monolith. It's far more uh, complex than just being this single idea of all Muslims when you belong to a homeland. It's not that. It is a complex ideology, as opposed to what the media would say, comprised of things like Wahhabism, Salafism, some may say Ba'athism. A lot of ideologies go into Islamism, so it has it's, it's quite complex. But I still added it in because it's good to know about. Everything really began regarding the, the um, partitioning, or rather annexations of Palestine and Israel, following the Sykes-Picot Agreement. You see, the British wanted a portion of the Middle East for a long time. So did the French, and so did the Americans. Many of the Western imperial powers wanted it, really. And at the time, it belonged to the Ottoman Empire. And during World War I, the Ottoman Empire sided with the, um, what were they called? The Dons who were with Germany and Austria-Hungary, the Ottomans sided with them. So the fact that they lost means that they kind of lost a lot of territory over that. The Ottoman Empire was formally dissolved and the territory was carved up by Western Europe, as empires do. This led to a rise in all forms of nationalism. Suddenly, the overlord was no longer there. It was, lessing, it was a breeding ground for much of the Zionism, Arab nationalism, Palestinian nationalism... And Islamism that we see today, because suddenly all these people had lost the colonial overlords. They were now able to legitimately make a claim to the state that they so badly wanted. They had a right to this homeland in their eyes, and this was a chance to take it. However, the Sykes-Picot Agreement was between many of the Western powers, and they decided that this would not be happening. The British Mandate of Palestine was established, and this led to a huge uprising of Arab nationalism. You know, it was the driving force behind um, modern-day Zionism, many would say, because there was a lot of repression of the Jewish people during this time. The fact that Israel became a thing through the British Mandate is a scar on the hearts of many Middle Eastern peoples, much of whom are Arab. Jewish paramilitaries would also rise up against Britain, you see. It wasn't the Jewish and the Brits versus the Arabs. It was the Jewish versus the Brits versus the Arabs versus each other, right? Everyone hated each other here. There were many nuanced alliances between each other, of course, but these were really more dependent on class rather than ideology. And this went on until World War II. And then World War II happened and things got incredibly complex. You had many different alliances with many different people, but in general, you had the Arabs siding with the, the Axis power and they wanted to ally with, you know, Nazi Germany, who at the time was leading a holocaust, a genocide of the Jewish people. You know, it was quite terrible. And that kind of reignited Jewish efforts to have this Zionist state. It was kind of the driving force behind that. The fact that the select few Arabs decided to ally with what is arguably the most evil man of the 20th century, 
I can understand it, to be honest. There were also paramilitary forces against Britain at the time, from both sides, who rejected Britain's dominion over Palestine. It was a strategic location for Britain to control, because as empires do think, they only see things in as territory, as places to be conquered and carved up for reasons or resources. Following World War II, there was a lot of illegal immigration of Jews to Palestine, and it was this is what really sparked tensions and sent it overboard. You know, people were Jewish people were coming to Israel in huge amounts. These were refugees from the war. They weren't meant to be there. It's illegal immigration, but they needed somewhere to go. And Israel was where they went because they were promised a homeland. Many Western countries secretly collaborated with um, Zionist nationalists in Israel because they wanted to get the Jews off of their territory. You see, there's this whole idea of the Western saviour, but it's not true. The Westerners hated Jews. They didn't want them in their own countries. They saw World War II and their misery as an excuse to oust the Jews and send them somewhere else. Quite terrible, and it is harrowing how similar it is to some of the things that we see in the modern day. However, this eventually boiled over, leading to the United Nations proposing a draft resolution, a resolution based on a two-state plus free zone solution. The two states would be the state of Palestine and Israel, and the free zone would have been Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been a United Nations administered city, and it would not have any form of nationalism over it. It was just a free city. It was something that really, really annoyed a lot of people because you had the Arabs and the Palestinians who thought that they had a right to that entire territory. Then you had the Zionists who believed that they had a right to the entire territory. Leaving Jerusalem so disambiguously left to global powers really annoyed a lot of people, and this is what led to the First War. The 1948 Arab-Israeli War was devastating. It was terrible. A lot of surrounding Arab states invaded Israel immediately. But Israel fought back very, very, very powerfully. You see, those Jewish people who were refugees from the war, they were from the war. They were veterans of actual combat in the war. So they were not stupid. They were not under underfunded or under-resourced. They had a lot of Western backing as well. So the bloody war was, as I said, very bloody. And it led to, eventually, the Israelis conquering much of um, Israel outside of the accords, outside of the resolution made. And the this is what really began the decades of apartheid that drives the current ongoing Palestinian liberation movement today. The Israeli government was ultra-nationalist. It believed the Palestinians to be a threat to their integrity. It believed the Arabs were a threat to their integrity. And this is where apartheid began. Until 1966, I believe, in Israel, um, Arabs or Palestinians or both didn't have a right to citizenship. Or they did, rather, they were, they had to follow martial law, essentially. They could not go out during certain times. They could not do certain things. It was full-on apartheid. Fun fact, South Africa and Israel were each other's closest allies during the apartheid era of South Africa. It really makes you think, you know. Anyways. There were decades of apartheid between inside of the so-called Israeli state and it led to a lot of tensions between them as well as Israeli interventionism in the surrounding areas. You had a lot of cases of Israeli spies or assets being caught involving themselves in Arab governments such as Egypt which led to a huge distrust of Jews. You know, Over these past 40 years this war and ongoing conflict had displaced thousands of people from each of the countries Hundreds of thousands of Arabs were forced out of Palestine and into the surrounding areas. 
and thousands of Jews were forced out of Middle Eastern countries and into Israel. This ongoing interventionism only bubbled over when we had other players such as the West, such as the Soviet Union, becoming involved in things like the Palestinian Liberization Organization, which was a group that is in the name, determined with um, liberating Palestine and making sure that it is belonging to Israel. However, the PLO is a complex group. It follows a vaguely socialist ideology, and that made it a asset for the Soviet Union and other powerful uh, leftist-backed countries. But just because it was leftist did not mean that it was not without its faults. It was an imperialist body in many regards, that, as it believed it had a right to conquest over many areas, and it was a body that did not believe that it could be coexisting coexistence with the Israelis, with the Jews. And this was at odds with, you know, the Israeli citizens. How can two groups of people that hate each other exist in the same area? And this is something that people do not understand, right? There will never be coexistence as is now in Israel and Palestine. These people have been at each other's throats for, what, for over a hundred years now. That is a very, very long time. You do not heal scars overnight when they've been developing for hundreds of years. You had groups like the PLO and Israeli ultra-nationalist groups and the military itself intervening in surrounding countries. The PLO led terrorist attacks around the entire world. You know, Before 9-11, the big thing was the PLO. It wasn't the Taliban, it was the PLO involving themselves in other countries. The Munich massacre was, I believe, the Olympic team for Israel being killed by the PLO. No matter what your political beliefs are, it is stupid to think that this can be justified. It is a massacre. It is murder. And the Israelis massacred thousands as well. You had ultra-nationalist groups going around to Arab and Palestinian neighbourhoods, killing Muslims, Christians alike, before simply existing. Because these groups saw each other as existential threats, right? In my, my degree, international relations, right, we have this concept of the bargaining range, which is that two groups, right, right, when they when they negotiate, they want to make an agreement, and that agreement will be within a set of parameters, and each one of them will have a parameter of different sizes, and sometimes if it overlaps, that overlapping area is where you can agree things on, but neither of the Palestinian groups or Israel can overlap, because both of them want control over so many important territories like Jerusalem, like the West Bank, like Gaza, that there will never be a solution as is right now. We came close with things like the Camp David 2000, uh, what was it, summit. However, that was rejected by the, the PLO's head, Yasser Arafat, I think his name is. For what? I don't know. It was a pretty decent agreement that could have led to a lot of progress in the Palestinian cause. It led to other groups coming up because they saw the PLO as not fit for, for duty. They didn't see the PLO as someone that could be cooperated with because the PLO was making stupid decisions. Even Gaddafi. You know, you know you've made a terrible decision when one of the world's most brutal dictators says, you know what, guys, that was kind of stupid what you did there. Muammar Gaddafi, former dictator of Libya, called the PLO and other Arab nationalist groups stupid for not, for not taking up deals like that. It was such a good deal that was just rejected because, who knows, Arafat didn't even, the leader of the PLO, didn't even ask for a renegotiation or he didn't even offer a solution that he saw to himself to be fit. Why? I don't think we'll ever know. This led to the rise of other groups like Hamas and ultra-nationalist groups within Israel and military 
politicians, you know, militarist politicians like Netanyahu. And this led to the ongoing conflicts that we have today, ongoing uprisings between both groups, increasing ultranationalism, increasing skirmishes between the two. We have had skirmishes in the past, you know. The Palestinians call them intifadas. Intifadas, I think it means an Arab, Arabic uprising or something like that. They were bloody and they lasted years. And they always ended in a reinstation of, of some sort of apartheid for them. When your enemy, let's say the Palestinians, your enemies have tanks and they have a sophisticated military force. And what do you have? Very little. You have rocks, right? That is essentially what a lot of them have. Absolutely nothing. They are unable to fight back freely. And this enemy is oppressing them through apartheid, brutal apartheid, it is sponsoring ultra-nationalist groups to go into Palestinian neighborhoods and kill many. There are many, many Islamist groups now involved. Hamas is one of those who are also going in and attacking neighborhoods. Hamas is an interesting one because the whole Hamas versus Israel thing began when, um, well, the Oslo peace process was a series of, pro- of uh, proposals that was meant to heal a lot of the scars between Palestine and Israel. And it kind of ended when there was a sabotage by Israeli ultranationalists through a terrorist attack. It, it massacred nearly 30 people, I think, and indigenous many, many, many more. And that massacre just it, it threw things off completely. That massacre was met by a response from Hamas. It was a suicide attack. And that kind of set the precedent for the way Islamists retaliation would go through for the next few decades the situation is difficult there is no simple way to resolve the palestinian israeli conflict the only way there will be resolved is if people decide on absolutes right politicians have corrupted the minds of these people so far right and the minds of us so far and this is more of a address towards um the fellow muslims who will listen to this podcast the opinions that you form about Palestine and Israel are very, very important, right, as a Muslim, because it will tell about your character as a Muslim and what you stand for. If you stand for the Palestinian cause because you hate Jews and you hate Israel, you are sinning, a cardinal sin, or the equivalent in Islam. Nationalism in Islam should not exist. It should never exist. There is no, nothing about ideology, nationalist ideology should exist in Islam. It is shirk. Idolatry of the words, many would say. The only way to approach Israeli-Palestinian conflict is to understand that the Palestinians have been oppressed. That as Muslims they have been oppressed, but also as people they have been oppressed. Apartheid is wrong. South Africa lost its apartheid rule because people realise it is immoral, it is wrong, it's terrible. Western backers pulled out because of popular mass support against the apartheid government. We need to do the same against Israeli's government, you know. But we can't go around yelling things like just just stupid slogans about killing all Israelis because it doesn't work. It's silly. Even even Gaddafi realizes that it's silly and that it doesn't work, right? A directed approach to healing the scars between Palestine and Israel would be to recognize the fact that Israel, first of all, does in fact exist. Pretending that there isn't a problem will never help, right? This childish screaming by Arab countries has led to so much unnecessary conflict and suffering. Muslim does not mean Arab. We need to stop aligning ourselves with the Arab states because it achieves absolutely nothing. 
We need to align ourselves with fellow human beings and Muslims, not Arabs. Arabs, like anyone else, like Israelis, can become politicians. And politicians are rotten to their very cause. They don't have the interests of people at their heart. They have the interests of elections at their heart. They want to win presidential races. They want to get office seats. They want to do all these things regarding legislature. They don't believe in the rights of people. Assume that every politician is corrupt. Step one to Palestinian liberation. Secondly, assume that your enemy is not going to cooperate with you because they haven't. Every time we have seen in the past that Israel and Palestine have come close to any form of agreement, there's been some form of sabotage. Oslo peace process, sabotaged by Israeli ultranationalists. Camp David 2000, sabotaged by Arafat, who is now believed to be collaborating with many elements of the Israeli government. If you agree with the politicians and if you believe that they have the best interests at heart, you will never succeed. We will never succeed in liberating Palestine. Step three, who knows? Maybe it's armed uprising. Who really knows? I'm not an armchair general. I don't want to believe in violence. However, when your people are being shot, when there is war in the entire region, the entire Middle East, when there is continued involvement by Israeli intelligence services in surrounding countries, when the Westerners are backing this involvement, you must ask yourself, is peace really the only option that we can take up with Israel? Is peace something that we can accept? Of course, the past few wars that have been won or waged against Israel have not succeeded. Does this mean that we stop here now? I am not calling for war, because war is something that devastates thousands of lives, but I am calling for armed resistance, something that the media wants you to believe isn't feasible. There's been this pacification of Islam recently, believing that Islam means peace. It does not mean peace in the sense that Oh, you must submit to your overlord and your colonial overlords and Western backers. That is not the peace that Islam teaches. It teaches peace of the soul and the mind and internal belief. You know, religious peace, spiritual peace. That is what Islam teaches. There are whole verses dedicated to fighting for your faith and fighting for the right to practice your faith. The faith is being attacked in Palestine. The most we can do is at the very least understand that fighting will be necessary to liberate our brothers and sisters from their oppressors. Western media does not help this cause at all. It's very, very quick to label groups as terrorist groups. And when groups are labelled as terrorist groups, they lose their ability to negotiate because, as many do say, we don't really negotiate with terrorists. We do, but being labelled a terrorist group makes negotiating very difficult. And that group is then incentivized to seek different methods of negotiation, many of which will be armed in nature. If Hamas was not labelled a terrorist group, perhaps Israel would be able to talk with them in actual negotiations. At the same time, if Israeli politicians weren't so hell-bent on gaining their seats in parliament, perhaps Hamas would be more willing to sit down with them as well. But Israeli politicians will always use Hamas as a reason to continue their military projects in the area. Recently, we have seen Al-Aqsa attacked once again. Movements by Israeli ultra-nationalists in the area, they have tramped they have trampled over the sanctity of the region going in. Even Christians are being attacked. They always have been in Palestine. How much longer will it go on for? I don't know. I'm not an oracle. In fact, everything that I said, you can disregard. But what you can not disregard is that this entire situation is very complex. And euphemisms won't help it either. You know, I've seen a lot of things about, oh, don't call it a war because one side has guns and the other doesn't. That's not true. 
That's childish. The Palestinian people do have weapons. Of course not tanks, but they are armed. They have a right to be armed as well, I would say. Don't, don't shut your eyes to this very simple understanding. It's okay for people to be armed, right? If you are being oppressed, you are completely within your right to defend your country. The Palestinians have an absolute right to pick up arms and defend themselves, you know? Nothing wrong with that at all. Not really sure where I was going to take this one. I think I was just trying to fill you guys in on what's been going on in, in Palestine and Israel. I just want the main takeaway of this entire thing to be that it is a complex thing. It's not one-sided. It's not, it's not simple. It's not Palestinians versus Israelis. It's thousands of political groups and religious groups versus each other. Maybe not thousands, but hundreds definitely. Don't infantilize simple topics because you want to get your catchy Instagram phrase in. Please don't do that. Thank you.